Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, before we get the show started, I wanted to let you know we are giving away a bunch of brand new Black Magic gear. Yeah, cameras, switchers, DaVinci Resolve licenses, a bunch of awesome stuff. So stay tuned to learn how you can enter to win free gear from Black Magic. And we're going to tell you all about it later on in this episode. Now cue the music. Hey, welcome to the 258th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patron Joey Family. I'm Matt and Lowe. And I'm Warren Kaplan. And today we are talking to a bunch of actors. This is definitely not a regular type of episode for us. We were invited, luckily, by the Strasbourg Institute which is a school for actors. You could say we were guest lecturing. We guest lectured. We were practically professors, basically. You were mostly lecturing me. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I was wearing a turtleneck and like a a jacket with the pads on it. Yeah. Uh, You mean the elbow pads, like the patches? Mm -hmm. Yeah, 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 exactly. Exactly. I have a ponytail now. Yeah, it's... uh, COVID tale. Anyway, so yeah, so they invited us to just talk to some actors. And I can't remember who exactly came up with the topics. I think David Strasberg had said that a lot of actors feel this pressure to be more than just actors, to be content creators and writers and directors and cinematographers and to make content, make content, make content. So we talked about that a little bit. But I think we also talked just generally a lot about casting and auditions and what we like to see and what we don't like to see and how it's evolved in the times of everyone putting themselves on tape. You know, I think back in the day, pre-COVID, it was like sometimes you'd put yourself on tape. A lot of times you'd go into a casting office. Now it's like 100% on tape. So we really just talked a lot about how we interact with actors as directors. And I, I thought it was fun. It was potentially more fun for me than it was for them. Yeah, it was it was super fun. I think we've gotten some really good feedback. And I think the young actors were excited. I think maybe it's actually worth clarifying to people who aren't actors and who are, are still curious about this episode. When we say put yourself on tape, you know, it's not a, quite as simple as pulling out your phone and like selfie style shooting the a monologue or the lines that someone has sent you. You know, at this point, the there's been a, a cold war, an arms race in terms of just getting higher and higher production value. Uh, Orrin Kaplan, you are the the kingpin of that right now. Yeah, where I have people a, are... a six by behind me. I'm sure you noticed. I shot an audition right before this on a, you know, I've been shooting them. At, I was shooting them in S Log Three Cinegamma. Now I've switched to the S 
Cinetone. It's the new gamma for my camera. Anyway, sure, needless you, to say, you've <laughs> got a custom LUT on your wife and the softbox and all that stuff. But but I think you're you're maybe at the one end of the spectrum. But there, I think most actors are uh, you know have a nice background, you know, like something kind of formal, maybe a curtain or a, a solid. A microphone, a ring light, that's kind of more or less a standard issue at this point. And so it is a lot of pressure and, a, and something that actors are thinking about a lot. So, Well, are you noticing that a lot of the casting notices, you, you probably see these because of your wife, who's also an actor, they are specifying what kind of shots they want the audition to be. They'll say like shoulders up, do a close up for your slate and then go, give us a full body shot and then put the camera at eye level they're really starting to direct these auditions because as a director you know we've seen a lot of very very poorly done Mm self-tapes did you see all the self-tapes for your next job yet i i have seen uh, the self-tapes for my next job and it is something where i think having really explicitly spelled out directions for what you're looking for in a sense, it sounds a little overboard, but it's just nice to be clear and to equip an actor with as much information as is reasonable to give them a fighting chance at not letting the the gear get in the way of us seeing how good they are as an actor, right? You know, it's like, it feels like it's overboard, but it's really just like, I want everybody on an even playing field. I'm going to do my very best to look past whatever technical limitations they're under because everyone's got their own set of challenges in this environment i'm doing my best to see the performer and not the technical and also flattering lighting or natural lighting or putting the camera in the right spot is going to help you lower those barriers for me to see all that you can be and i've seen some genuinely rough audition techniques in the past before yeah i've seen the worst i mean i've seen really good ones i've I've seen i think we've all seen everything but there's this illusion that people can see past technical issues, you know? I remember when I first started in film, like everyone's like, yeah, here's the edit. The, the sound's not great and the music's not great and this is, but just, just ignore that stuff. And honestly, like I cannot ignore it. I don't understand. Like people would show me cuts with like a gunfight, but they hadn't put gun sound effects in there yet. I'm like, I, I can't tell you if the scene works or not because I don't know what it sounds like. So to me with an actor, sure, I'm going to try to judge you and try to ignore the dog barking in the background. But honestly, I'm probably going to be thinking about that dog more than about you. And so it's exactly like you said, the technical stuff is about getting rid of as many distractions as possible. If you have a wireless mic, that's a huge plus. If you have bright lighting so i'm not struggling to see your face that's a huge plus it's funny when i first (laughs) moved to la my roommates were all actors and a few times you know they needed to put themselves on tape for some audition like usually more like the theatrical stuff and we would literally try to shoot the scenes you know we'd get their reader we'd shoot i'd shoot handheld we'd try to find an environment (laughs) i've did that so many times i remember and that is a bad idea for any actors listening at home i do i do not i i want you to do the best i want you to concentrate on acting and i will find a great location and i'll put you in i'll give you the business i'll find great props all that stuff you don't need to guess at that focus on it's hard enough to be a great actor basically yeah but how guilty did those people who we sent those auditions tapes to and they didn't select us how guilty did they feel pretty guilty (laughs) you know i it's funny there have been a few times where i'm like should i let them know that this isn't helpful like like oh yeah i've I've always it's always you want to tell them 
Yeah, just like, hey, because I know their heart's in the right place. I want people to like do their best. I appreciate that they're going the extra mile. Like I, I saw something a while ago where like someone had put music under a self-tape. And I just was like, oh, and like cut together a little montage. Orin and I were both married to actors. All, all I want is for actors to do their best work and for their tape to shine through and for us to remember them and, and cast them in something eventually, even if it's not the first thing that we see them in. I still don't know if my wife really loves me or if it's all just if it's a just, performance. Yeah, yeah. She's a very good actor, so <laughs> I would be worried too if I were you. Wait, before, sorry, before we continue, I'm sorry to... We love actors. We want actors to be good. Every time we see an actor, we want it to be good. Just, just know that actors that are listening to this uh i'm gonna say one thing which is that this last job that i cast for that also shot you know in the same place you're gonna shoot for shoot at one of the roles was a father and daughter that were fishing at a lake and then an, a different role was like this guy that was playing pool and for both of them i'd say i saw at least 20 submissions where people went to a real lake with real fishing rods and sat on a real dock and really like went fishing. And for the fishing one and for the pool one, they literally went to pool halls where I was like already feeling weird about like COVID <laughs> stuff. And they're like, like these guys are going to bars. I mean, this was in a different part of the country where they were open. So it, I appreciated the effort, but like you, I was like, should I tell the casting directors or the agents to tell their clients to stop going to these locations? Because yeah, it's really just making me feel yeah. bad. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the, so I want to talk two things about that, actually. So w- one, I saw recently my wife got a breakdown where it said explicitly, don't go into a studio. Because th- th- there were places where like you can go and you spend 50 bucks and they've got great lighting and a great backdrop and they've got the la- the mic and there's a person who will read there with you and you go in for 15 minutes and They'll they upload the, the tape for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, by Which the way, are a- highly recommended not during pandemic. Not during like, COVID great. yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's not a bad plan at all. And like sometimes you get a little coaching. If it's a big role, I think, you know, it's sometimes it's worth it to spring for it. But the the breakdown said explicitly, don't do that. I want you to be at home. We're not worried about the dog barking in the background. We promise. Just let's please, like, please stay safe, stay at home. And I thought that was wonderful. And so that's just kind of like, I, I hope that any casting people out there that are listening, you know, please echo that. that I think that really... Because actors are under so much pressure, they want to do a great job. They they know that their their camera on their cell phone isn't great and that, you know, the camera at their normal studio looks really great and they've gotten so many compliments on how the lighting is awesome and stuff. So they want to do their best. And so I think giving them permission to to have a less than professional setup, I think, is really valuable. Yeah. And, and I do want to mention that I, I think phone cameras are great for auditions. I don't. I, yeah, I, we yeah. shoot I, whenever we're in a hurry. Way. We do it on my phone, too, yeah, yeah. or my wife's yeah. phone. I want to talk, though, about the people who did go, say, to a pool or to a lake. What what's bad about that? Why didn't separate from the COVID of it all? What bothered you about it? Yeah, and that one wasn't, there was no COVID of it all because it was just them going by themselves. Well, it's it's hard and it's nuanced because if they were really great, it didn't, it, I was okay with it. But if they were kind of on the edge of like, you know, when we see for the first audition, we just, if there's potential in someone, we want to call them back, right? And so a lot of, there are a lot of people where I'm like, well, they aren't great, but maybe with some direction, they'd be good. Or, hey, I really love their look. Maybe I can try to direct them to do something else. Or like, their look's kind of questionable, like not what I was thinking, but you know. The um, difference between that first audition and the callback is like, 
there's a few people that you're going to want to kind of take a shot on, like, like open your mind up, try something that maybe wasn't your first impulse. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. But so when they go to this lake and they're sitting down and it's windy or there's cars or there's the lighting is really, it's like they're in direct sunlight or something like that kind of bothers me a little bit because I'm like, you are now distracting me with these other things. You, and you think that you are making it better that you've gone this extra mile, but it's like you said, Matt, like, I, I don't need you to do that for me, you know? And it's one thing if it's a prop. Like, I want to, it's a scene where you're riding a bike and you have a bike and you want to go outside and show me that you can actually ride a bike. That's a different thing than... Or, or you're on your phone and you've got your phone handy. Yeah, that's yeah. Fine. Yeah, yeah. But when you have kind of production designed this whole thing, it's not that I don't think it's your job but but it doesn't substitute for the performance and the look and the other things you know like i i think your wardrobe is much more important than the location and i think you know obviously the performance is is what i'm really looking for and in commercials a lot of times it's really hard because there's no dialogue let's say or there's one line there's like oh wow or huh yeah right so to me even if you did it like as scripted twice and then the third time you did your own thing or improvised that like i'd rather i would take that more than you trying to like build a set for me or go drive two hours to the snow to show me that you're in a ski outfit that, and you've been in the snow. snow before yeah, yeah and, and i would say also like we were saying about the other things about technology all of a sudden i'm thinking about the lake or the mountain that you're on and not about your performance. The only thing I really care about, I would say even, I don't really care about your wardrobe. It, as long as it seems like you get it, you don't have the per- have to have the perfect blouse or cardigan or whatever. Like, I just want you to show up in something approximately appropriate. Right. And then, and then we're good. I want to see, are you, are you good at this role? That's the only thing I care about. What do you look like? Are how do you read these lines? Can I direct you? Yeah, and the wardrobe. It's like, look, if you're auditioning for a police officer, I don't. I'd actually rather you not get a police costume. You know, I'd rather you just wear like a black t-shirt and jeans. You know, or like yeah. something. Don't play dress up. Yeah, you know. Yeah, but but you know, I think the wardrobe can help the vibe and for the actor themselves. I think if you're wearing high heels versus ski boots, you, you feel differently. But I guess my point is, is do they have to be? expensive high heels you know like if you're meant to play a millionaire and you've got cheap high heels that's okay just as kind of a bad example but like just evoke it you don't have to you're not a costumer you're just like getting into my wife's manager has very much simplified this whole thing he thinks there's high status characters and there's low status characters so if you're someone that lives on the streets you're a criminal or something you know a thief you wear a baggy hoodie or whatever and like baggy pants, you know, and if you are the cotillion ball or whatever, you're the director of some fancy thing, yeah. then you are are you wearing succession or are you, you know, being interviewed in SVU about, you know, how you found a body or something. Right. Basically. Right. Yeah. But yeah. So it's all about just kind of building a vibe for you as a person and not really for what's behind you. Cool. Well, this is going to be a short intro, but it's not a short intro anymore. <laughs> but uh, but I really did enjoy speaking to those actors. I've, a few of them have emailed me already with their resumes and headshots and videos and many other things that I 
Probably won't get a chance to watch all of them, but I appreciate it. Did you get any emails? Yeah, I I think that there is a a kind of tricky thing. There have been people who reached out to me who had a question uh, that's germane to the things that we talked about. Like, hey, will you look at my reel? I'm worried that maybe I'm doing the thing you told me not to do or something like that. And in fairness, I I did say at the end, like, feel free to keep in touch, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And... And I think that's a really good way to engage us and talk to us and like trick us into seeing your materials, right? And then there's something that's a little less personal that's just like the kind of feels closer to a cold call of like, hey, here are all the things. Here's who I am. This is what I'm doing and stuff that I don't love. The only reason I bring it up and want to think about it is that like if you're trying to teach actors how to interact in the world with casting directors or or directors or anyone, like whether that's at a panel or, or, you know, just kind of out in the street, there is a little bit of social graces that you still want to kind of think about in the same way that when you're making a new friend, you know, you don't just immediately like say, okay, well, here's my resume and how there's how you can help me all of this stuff, you know, I, and I think sometimes actors, it's so hard. There's, it's so competitive. They've been told a million times, you got to just put yourself out there. Let it be known. But I guess there's just like a, a bit of strategy in, in engaging with people on a personal level rather than just like, here's all, all the ways I'm going to tell you about myself. Keep me in mind. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I do not mind if actors email me their headshot and resume reels, all that stuff. It doesn't bother me. I have cast people that way or called them into audition exactly zero times. Like it's not effective to get me to see your headshot and your reel. That will not lead to a part from me, and it's not because I'm mean or I don't like that or anything. It's just the way that casting usually works as yeah, we go through We don't have directors. a file of like actors to work with that we put people in or anything like that. Though, I will say, say you were casting, say I was casting something and it's on Actors Access or whatever, and they figure out that, oh, I, the, I'm the person who spoke at their school two years ago. Could they drop me a line and be like, hey, just a heads up. I really liked what you had to say. I'm coming in. Hopefully, you know, we can work together. Something short and sweet like that on Twitter or even my email address is floating around. That's the way to do it. Yeah. Or if they come into audition, they don't say anything. But they're like, hey, by the way, I was in, you know, the Strasbourg class and uh, I was I asked that, this question or whatever. Like, that would be totally cool. I know a lot of times my wife will go in for a director that I know and I'll be like, oh, you can tell him, you know, tell him you're my wife. And just say, like, that's it. Like, oh, hey, you know, because we've had a lot of directors on the podcast. So our wives have obviously, like my wife's auditioned, I think, for Jordan Brady a couple times. And I'm always like, yeah, just mention, you know, it's totally cool to make a one sentence thing and say, like, tell them your connection. And that's it. He's never cast her. Jordan. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to get you. Uh, Cast my wife. (laughs) (laughs) Well, anyway, yes. So actors, we love them. And we uh, are going to talk to them. And that's what you're going to hear here. And I'm curious if you uh, agree with the advice that we are giving them. Because I think if, if you're a director and you're listening to this, I'd love to hear your interaction with actors and how it is. You can email us at justshootitpod at gmail.com. And also, if you feel like you're getting something from this podcast, by the way, this will not help you get cast. So I don't encourage actors to do this for that reason. But we do have a Patreon at patreon.com slash justshootitpod. It's where you can you know tell us that you're into the podcast. If you 
been listening for a while, you feel like you're getting, getting something out of it, at $10, you'll get a Just Shoot It hat. Anywhere less, you will be supporting us to help us pay our editor and do things like that. But yeah, that's it. With all that out of the way, let's talk to David Strasberg and the actors at the Lee Strasberg Institute. Hey folks, we're interrupting this incredible episode of the podcast to tell you about a new sponsor that we're working with, Front Row Insurance Brokers. One of the challenges of being a filmmaker is that there's a lot of risks that we take and we really just want to focus on making good stuff. So what if there was a company that could take those risks, manage them for us while we are being artists? That's right. Front Row Insurance Brokers arranges film production insurance to cover the risks associated with your production. They cover features, TV shows, documentaries, commercials, music videos, webisodes, basically anything you can watch on big media or phone-sized screens. Yeah, Front Row will help you focus on your artistic vision by transferring all the risks to them and minimizing your production hazards. And they cover any budget from $2,000 all the way up to $200 million. There's nothing that's too small or too big. If you are shooting in Canada, use coupon code JUSTSHOOTIT50 off for 50 bucks off your film production insurance. That's promo code JUSTSHOOTIT50 off to save 50 bucks. And if you're shooting in the U.S., that same code can be redeemed offline by mentioning it to a broker, by email, or over the phone. It's like a cool password if you're in the U.S. That's just shoot it 50 off. Check them out. Let us know how it goes. All right, everybody. I want to welcome you all and, and thank you uh, for coming in on a Friday, even though who knows what the days of the week mean anymore. My name is Paul Rush, and we're joined by Matt Enlow and Orm Kaplan, two really wonderful and magnificent directors out here in Los Angeles. And they also run and a really amazing podcast called Just Shoot It. It's actually how I was introduced to these guys. And uh, we're really, really excited to have them come on. From here on, guys, we're going to turn it over to David, Matt, and, and Orm. Thank you, guys. Love having you here. This is an interesting environment for you guys, of course, because normally you do the interviewing. We, we probably still will, David. We probably still will. Yeah. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. yeah. I, I can feel my heat. The, the heat in my chair start to uh, crank up just a little sure. bit as just as we start. But this this is a to me it's a chance for all of our all of our actors and creative folks to to jump into what is really a diverse world these days, right? Actor, director, writer. There's there's all these uh, opportunities, but also there's a pressure, right? To to be a content mm-hmm. creator and sort of what that means. So I want to start the conversation maybe in one of the one of the most straightforward areas in terms of uh, commercials, right? Commercial auditioning. This is sort of a still in the in the heart of the acting conversation. And you guys as commercial directors, at least in part, you know how you've seen like what what actors can use for the commercial audition, the difference maybe between commercial auditions, theatrical auditions, so we can begin the conversation there as, as among our actors. Yeah, awesome. Uh, nice to meet everyone. Thanks for coming here. This is pretty exciting. I think this is our, our first time talking to a bunch of actors, though. I do think we have a lot of actors that listen to our show, and we've had a few other acting podcast hosts on Alicia Oxy and uh, Audrey Helps Actors and a few people like that. We've had a lot of shows about casting and stuff. So if you are interested in kind of getting a director's perspective on acting, you should check out some of our other episodes about that. But yeah, I'll, I kind of made a little bullet point list of what I think about commercial auditions versus theatrical auditions. So I can I can go through it real quick if that's helpful. And maybe, Matt, you can... Uh, pepper in sure you can basically disagree with everything i say yeah yeah. i'm ready and just to give you guys a little bit of context matt and i we both do mainly comedy stuff the last few years we've mainly been doing commercials 
branded content, digital stuff. We both come from more of like a narrative background, the feature episodic world. But lately, we've been doing a lot of commercials. So that's why we have a lot of thoughts about this. It's also worth mentioning that we are both married to working actors. So we understand the the plight of being an actor and what it's like on both sides of the camera. Yes. And I, I have a lot of thoughts about that. We'll try to hold the relationship questions until the very end. Sure. Um, <laughs> right. So if we're having trouble managing a relationship as an actor, we, we'll, we'll keep that aside. I mean, maybe to start, actually, as we think about commercial auditions and com- working in commercials as an actor, is to think about what the value is, right? I think most of the folks who started Strasburg are really thinking about, you know, uh, theatrical mm-hmm. auditions, you know, uh, you know, really getting into story and character and it can be comic, right? But but usually with with that sort of gravitas that comes with a really well-trained mm-hmm. actor. Yeah, no, un- understood for sure. Yeah, you guys are about the craft. You're really digging in backstory, a lot of substitutions, right? I feel like that's kind of at the heart of your, uh, yeah. I mean, or- Orrin, maybe walk us through your... Um, Walk us through your bullet points, because I feel like that'll probably uh, encapsulate a lot of what's good about commercials, because I think both Orin and I, based off of our background, we were surprised to like commercials. You know, I guess, Orin, you've always liked them. But like I as a kid, I was like, oh, I would I would never, never be interested in doing commercials. That that sounds I was too snooty for it, basically. And now it's one of the things that I love to do the most. So who knew? Yeah, I think I've always loved advertising and commercials and everything ever since I was a kid. And there's like, you know, those Geico spots, the Jack in the Box stuff. There's just so many amazing commercials. And I know it's like it was cool for a long time to not like commercials, but I've always enjoyed them a lot of times more than like what they are in. I I think a lot of people like obviously the two kind of big pluses of doing commercials as an actor is you make money right you get residuals if they're a sag commercial which unfortunately a lot of commercials are non-union nowadays but you can make a lot of money in commercials for a day's worth of work and you also get a lot of practice being on set and it's like really technical practice it's like hitting marks you know knowing where the light is seeing how cameras work how sets work how everything works so i think as directors we kind of obviously we'd rather be you know directing an oscar nominated movie or an Emmy award-winning show, but being on set is way better than being at home. And in terms of kind of getting paid, usually is a big reason people get into commercials. That said, commercials aren't, I think, easy in any way. I think a lot of people think of them as just this thing they're going to do until they get their big break. And at least on the directing end of things, it's like an entire industry on its own. And it's just as competitive for directors as it is for actors, which is something I think a lot of actors don't realize, like how much we are competing to get the job of a commercial. You know, like we as directors, we're not writing the commercials. We're not pitching the idea. That is all coming from marketing departments and agencies. And we're up against 100 other directors, just in the same way you're up against 100 other actors to try to get the job to direct this commercial. And a, a thing that makes me really like commercials and make me think of them as an interesting challenge, which I think applies to actors also, is that I'm not always in love with the concept or the product or the material, but when you're pitching on it, especially as a director, when you're trying to convince the agency to hire you, you need to tell them like why you you think this idea is cool and you try to find kind of your way into the into the material. Yeah, how you connect with the material, yes, for sure. I, I think kind of going back just a tiny bit, the other thing that, Orin, you touched upon that I think is interesting for an actor, the amount of money that will, that goes into production on a commercial is 
the highest that you are likely to be around in your early career, right? Unless you like really luck out and end up on like a TV show or a, a big Hollywood movie early in your career, this is your first chance to be on a real honest to goodness set in a way that, you know, student films and smaller things and independent projects and web series, all that stuff has primed you for, but you're not going to learn how to like be around a technocrane, for instance, on your friend's web series. And so that comes with its own set of technicalities and different ways of behaving on set, basically. It's no longer that that wonderful like family of, of pals who are all putting on a show together. And I think that there are some definite learnings there. And it's nice to kind of have a day or two of that experience before you're on to something even bigger and better. I just like the way you say technocrane. <laughs> I, I love to say it. That's why. <laughs> yeah. He's never, he doesn't even know what a technocrane is. He just keeps. Yeah. I've never it. seen one in real life. In I can't magazine. wait to, to try one sometime. Um, well, neither, neither have I, by the way, but I'm Googling very quickly as we talk. <laughs> it's just a big uh, pneumatic crane. It's yeah. Neat, like though. a jib yeah. arm that, yeah. Uh, telescopes yeah, yeah. in and out. Okay, I'm going to go through my list real quick. Sorry, it was a very long-winded way to get to my list. It, this is my kind of what I think of as some main differences for me between a theatrical audition and a commercial audition. Uh, like in a theatrical audition, I think I want an actor... I, I want to see that an actor can really carry a show or a scene, lead things, give me something unexpected, show me you know big turns and things and a range of emotions. In commercials, it's the exact opposite. Like I want you to walk in and I want you, me to think like, oh, you are a tired mom, you know, or you're a guy that loves beer, you know, or like I like the archetypes and the, the look is so much of what I need to get because in a 30 second commercial or six seconds of that is some end card, I have 24 seconds to tell this story. And so I want the first frame to really tell me like who this character is. I think that's also it's worth echoing that 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 will be true for most of the things that you are auditioning for theatrically as well. Right. Like those early roles, you know, you're there to kind of help move the plot along or express something in an instant because it's the series regulars that are going to be kind of doing slightly different, bigger, meatier parts, right? But those first few roles that you're booking, they will be in those kind of like stock barrels, so to speak. Given that, what do you want out of that? Because, you know, you, you were joking about like, do you have to substitute or what have you? What's the uh, role in a way? Like, what do you need from that actor other than their headshot, like, mm -hmm. other than how they look? What are you looking for in terms of a, a well-prepared actor or an actor who can come in and deliver something? Well, I have, I guess... To me, like the number one thing is someone that seems comfortable in like their own skin and confident. And I, I don't think I, I think you're much more likely to f book your first theatrical audition than your first commercial audition, because most actors in their first few auditions, they're kind of rocking back and forth. They're a little nervous. They're asking too many questions. You know, I actually made some giveaways of like me thinking that an actor is like kind of green, you know, like a new actor. Like one of them is you don't know your lines and you're also like not holding your script. Like to me, it's fine if you don't know your lines as long as you have your script in your hand. But if you forget halfway through and you're like, oh, hold on, let me grab the script. It's just wasting time, you know, and it's- We're it not impressed by memorization, right? Just, just hold your script, it's fine. That's true for everything, basically. Like no, literally no one will ever have a problem with you holding your script. They'll have a problem with you burying yourself in the script, right? If you're not familiar with the material, but like, if you just need to like do a quick little double check here and there, that is so much better than flubbing things or making a show of flubbing things, which is the absolute worst. Yeah, I guess the other thing that I do do think experienced actors 
do is if they mess up and it's like a big mess up or if like someone comes in with a sandwich order in the middle of your audition or something like I think a lot of experienced actors will say like hey is it cool if I take that over from the top I think a lot of new actors are really scared to to say that but we as directors we want to see that we can work with you that we're gonna like oh there's an issue here let's like figure out how to fix it together and even though it sounds silly like you just saying like hey I was super distracted by the sandwiches like is it cool if we start over or I, I messed that up. Is it cool if I take it from the from the top? Usually it's fine. I mean, in a theatrical, like a 17-page audition, and for on page 15, we probably don't really want care to go back to page one. But in a 30-second spot where you're giving like, you know, the Old Spice monologue, it's fine if you want to start over because you something happened that, that threw you off. So I, I think that's a thing. Also, like having a super locked-in performance, like a lot of times... You know, a director will say like, OK, let's do that again. But this time, instead of like, you love your husband, you hate your husband or whatever. Right. It's not because that's what we think is right for the part. It's because we just want to see that when we're on set, we can change something real quick with you because that that's what a commercial set is like. Hey, say it like this, say it like this, say it like this. The agency wants you to smile more. Can you smile more? Like find a reason that you're smiling while you say this. So we want to know that you can change. I will oftentimes if you nail it on that first read, I will give you a redirect that maybe feels inauthentic or different or just like off base because I just want to see that you can do it differently. It's not that you didn't do it right that first time. It's just that I need to know that I can adjust your performance as needed on set. And so, you know, and the other thing is always like I typically because we both do comedy, I always want to dial things down. You know, like I want to see a big version and I want to see the, the teeny tiny version and we'll probably end up somewhere in the middle. But knowing that I have that range of like selling a joke super, super hard all the way down to something dry as a bone means that I know that I can kind of dial things in on set. That said, most of the time, what you do in your audition is probably what we're looking for if you get cast. It's unlikely that we talk too much to someone on set because there are always a thousand other things that are going so if you're doing it right we're probably not talking to you very much and that's again true for for tv as well yeah actually two quick follow-ups on that that i'm curious about one is is there an, an issue if, if you don't give someone a redirect if someone has an audition and the director goes mm-hmm. thank you is that bad like are you if you like someone are you always giving them a little extra time no no i it's funny david i think about it haunts me i had a friend who I'd cast a couple times in like college humor videos and stuff like that come in and he was just, it was like, you know, it was like perfect sandwich dude or something like that. I can't remember. It was just like, you know, he he was like a little scruffy. He had like the, the plaid shirt on his hair was on disheveled. It was like the, the dude basically like, you know, adult frat guy basically. And I had him do it once. And like, that was it. And I remember the reader turned to me and he was like, you know that that guy thinks that he did a terrible job. And I was like, oh, no, I loved that performance. It was just like, oh, we got it right. That's that's that. Like maybe, you know, we'll send that tape along. And so that's actually maybe the thing that's the trickiest to, to convey to everyone is that there are so many different things that determine whether an actor gets cast or not. And I have not cast so many performers that I thought were great and nailed it and would have been perfect but just for whatever reason out of their control utterly out of their control we just didn't cast and it can be I always will make the joke like sometimes it's like hey look you look like the creative director's ex-girlfriend 
there's nothing I can do about that. Do you know what I mean? It's and so there's something liberating about that. You know, you you go in, you nail it, we remember you, and then you can just be zen about it. It's not a big deal whether it happens or not. So you can control only as much as you can in the room, and then it's just kind of up to the fates, basically. Yeah, I'd, I'd actually written a note about this. I said, you know, just like I made a note of like general tips, which one of them was like, don't read too much into how many takes you did or what direction you received, just because every director is totally different. Like Matt said, or if that, we're eating a sandwich, you know. <laughs> oh yeah, that yeah that that reader said that that actor probably thought they didn't get it. Most readers I work with tell me that the, every actor probably thinks they did get the role because like I'm always just like super encouraging because I really like actors and I want them to feel good about the audition, even if they didn't do exactly what we needed. But yeah, there, I wouldn't read into it. it. And it's hard. It's actually like some another thing that I don't think actors realize is that most commercial auditions are where, and again, you know, it's different. It's a little different with Zoom. It's actually not as different as you would think. But usually the audition is the first time the director is hanging out with the agency people since the director got the job. So the director meets the agency people to pitch to them. And you usually don't really talk to them again, whether it's in person in an audition room or on Zoom, until casting. And so, yes, we're auditioning you, but it's also the director is auditioning themselves. Like, this is where like a creative director and a copywriter and an executive producer and another producer like are all watching me and you're my 17th audition for Monica or whatever. And they want to see what I'm saying to you. So I feel like I can't just say the exact same thing in every single audition. So I'm trying to show them how I work with actors in this audition. And so sometimes I, this doesn't happen to me as much anymore, but when I first started doing commercials, I used to really try to gauge what the agency thinks about the actors and maybe I like them. They're saying all the wrong line, the words wrong, but there's something super quirky or interesting about them. And I think it's interesting, but I can tell that the agency people are like not paying attention. So I just don't have them do a second take and I let them go. And after that, the agency people will be like, wow, that was really interesting, you know? And so... And you're like, wow, I would have done another take. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, or and you're making me realize, I think it's worth it to clarify agency client hierarchy because I... I, I want to make sure that everybody knows the parties that we're referring to basically show of hands I'll, I'll hop into gallery view real quick do you guys know agency versus client versus production company any of that stuff that none of that stuff makes sense great okay Oren, you this is your favorite topic you want to take it <laughs> yes so the way commercials work is usually coca-cola wants to make a commercial uh, they have a new drink and they want it market it towards millennials, you know, because it is healthy or something. So they hire an ad agency, BBDO or Ogilvy or Chayate or whatever, to come up with a campaign. They agree on a campaign and they decide, okay, now we need to make a TV commercial. Um, and so they have a certain amount of money allocated. So let's say they're going to spend $5 million to advertise to America this commercial. They'll take usually 5 to 10% of that, you know, half a million dollars maybe, to actually make the commercial. And then they talk to a bunch of different production companies to see who's got the, a director with an interesting take on this and who's a production company that can handle this budget and has done good work. And there's definitely different, just like agencies, just like the CAA and then like the ICMs and the Paradigms and the kind of smaller boutique agencies. It's the same thing with production companies. There's the like super high-end ones with the famous directors, the David Finchers and the Ava DuVernay's. And then there's the mid-tier ones, which is kind of where Matt and I work, and there's kind of newer ones, some smaller, more like viral video ones. 
And so, it's also important to mention that those agencies, they have oftentimes many clients. So like Oren was saying about how we're, we want to impress those agencies, that's because there's op- opportunity for us to have to re- repeat business. Like if, if Oren kills that, that Coca-Cola commercial, he knows that, well, the Coca-Cola account has you know X number of beverages under it in the first place, but then there's probably a couple other you know, Fortune 500 companies that they represent that do a lot of advertising. So, you know, those relationships uh, are are super important to us, basically. So like he was saying, we're trying to impress them as much as actors are trying to impress us. Yeah, and there's uh, a, it's because crazy. we're all trying to get the next job. Because Coca-Cola is paying for it. So what they say goes at the end of the day. The agency has come up with the creative idea. What they say trumps what we say. And then we try to convince the agency to do things like, hey, maybe we can make this widescreen instead of vertical because, you know, vertical stuff is not good. And uh, that that's like kind of the relationship. And then when it comes to casting, it's it's one of the few elements of production that is really affected by everyone from Coca-Cola will have an opinion on it. The agency will have an opinion on it. The directors will have an opinion on it. And again, I apologize if I'm over explaining stuff you already know, but what we would do at the end of this casting is we'd usually choose probably around three people for each role. We'd put them all on a veil. You know, our casting director would call your agent and they'd say, hey, you know, is this person available on these, you know, on these days? Is Jimmy Broadlick available on March 7th? And so when you're put on a veil, you you still have like probably a one out of three chance of getting it. And then... Uh, we, the director and the agency work together. They say, this is our number one choice and this is our number two. And these are our two backups. And then you start kind of assembling the cast. You know, like, what do they look like? They go together. Are they diverse? Are they interesting? Do they, you know, represent this brand in the right way? So we are just one vote of many votes. And it depends. If you're Spike Jones, if you're a famous director, perhaps your voice is more listened to than if you're you know, a newer director. It's also worth mentioning that in the hierarchy of people, like we're making our recommendation, right? And and the casting director is kind of forwarding that along. So we'll have a favorite, but we are probably, maybe some agency people, but we're probably the person who understands where the actors are coming from, from a technique level, from a training level, the best, right? So at a certain point, it's like a guy in marketing at Coca-Cola who was like, helping to make that final decision, that final call, right? So we we are lobbying. We're saying, hey, I really like this person because not only are they funny, but if you notice in this audition, they did X, Y, and Z, which illustrates to me that they can do the job properly, right? But there are we do a lot of translating, I guess is what I'm saying, to try and make sure that people who are not trained in acting or the arts in any way are getting the best product possible. That's kind of what our main job is because a lot of the creative decisions have already kind of been made by committee before we're even part of the part of the project. Yeah. And I think to to that point, like some one thing that is kind of weird about commercials is I do feel like a lot of directors don't have very strong relationships with the actors that are in the commercials because, you know, you do this audition and then next time you see them, you're on set and you're so busy with all these different things, but but really, like part of your job as a director is to, con- you know, communicate with the actors, and part of the actor's job is to communicate with the director. And I don't know about you, Matt, but I've been on like so many commercial jobs where I feel like the actors barely talk to me. You know, like they're almost like don't want to get in my way, but or, or I'll go and I say I'll say hi, you know, to them in the morning in like the makeup chair or whatever, and they're like hi, and I'm like, do you have any questions? And they're like, nope. 
And it's like, I, I, I like it when the actor's like, hey, this, when we do this scene, what do you think about this? Or like, I really like it when actors bring collaboration, even though we're talking about a commercial, even though you have one line or many times no lines. To me, it, it's exciting to work with actors. So even on something really small, where you're just supposed to like do a double take or something. I'm always happy to hear ideas. Yeah. Just I, know, I, just know though that the techno crane is really intimidating. Um, <laughs> it is. It is. It's hard to compete with that. There's two guys. What are they you. both doing? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, like, no, is, it, it, is it technology? Is it a crane? It's hard to know. <laughs> you right. know, the double whammy. I, I want to give one of our students had a had a question, Lavanya, if we have a chance to for her to to yeah, hop in yeah, here and, and ask Lavanya, you can unmute. Go yeah. ahead. Awesome. Hey guys. I just wanted to say, first of all, thank you for popping in and being willing to answer questions. Since I think a lot of us are surprised that the director end also has so much competition with regards to who gets that job. And so as an actor, I'm wondering what are the things that you guys have done in your pitches that have most frequently allowed for you to book jobs to be directing them? That's a good question. Yeah. If if I knew I would do it more frequently. (laughs) Um, yeah, I mean, obviously the answer is like, it depends, but we, I don't know how much you know about the, the pitching process for a director, but usually uh, you'll have a phone call with the agency that they'll send you a script or storyboards or something. Uh, it's, there's no real rule for what the format of that is. It very rarely is like a final draft style script. And you kind of have some questions about it and thoughts. You have a call with the agency and on that call, you're supposed to ask them about the script, what they're thinking, like what the casting is like, where is it going to shoot? Is it union, non-union? What's the, uh, all these things, what's the schedule? And even though you're talking about all these technical things and tone things, you're really trying to convince them that you're fun to work with, you know, that you're a good collaborator. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of it is personality based for sure. That you yeah. care what they think. And then usually you go off and you make a treatment, which which is like a, a PowerPoint deck, but uh, you know, on steroids. Imagine basically if you made a small magazine about a 30 second commercial. It's probably about I mean, Oren, your last one probably ran 30 pages, give or take, you know, of like highly curated images jokes copy you know we're breaking down every single aspect of the commercial i like i will pull a color reel of like you know these are the complementary colors that we'll put in each piece this is the texture these are our casting specs all of that stuff so there's there's so much especially in those pitch decks and oftentimes we're like hiring a small team to help us out with layout and pulling additional images and punching up jokes and stuff it you know there's a whole cottage industry behind uh treatments yeah in itself so and just like you, you know, we don't get paid for any of that stuff um yeah yeah, you know? yeah. actually yeah. I'm, I'm curious though you, you talk about it as sort of a personality question right that, mm-hmm. how that's a big part of surviving right in, in terms of you you can be as artistic as you want you you said you were a little snooty matt mm-hmm. when you started mm-hmm. in my younger years He's now still i'm pretty snooty I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm still i'm still a snooty yeah 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 for sure yeah is it true is the same true for an actor like how much are, are you really casting like that performance Right. Someone's I mean, certainly you're you're talking about this mm-hmm. in a commercial setting. You're like, I don't want transformation and deep character motivations. I'm looking for archetypes. Right. Mm-hmm. But how much are you also just looking for like, oh, I really like Lavanya. She's got like a great a great vibe. There is a a question of like, oh, am I going to be okay with hanging out with this person on set for a couple of days in a high pressure situation? If you are a lot if it feels like you're going to be a handful, that can be a turnoff to me personally, which is really tricky because as a comedy director and as like someone who's really embraces improv, like people come in on, 
Do you know what I mean? So you can't be too thirsty. It's really tricky. But that's more of a personal thing. But if if you're mellow and you're relaxed and you feel comfortable, like Oren was saying, comfortable in your own skin, or or maybe just even understanding what your essence is, which is a slightly different thing, you know, that I think does weigh in for sure. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think of like Lavanya's question in, in the context of actors. Because one of the things I ask when I'm meeting with an agency to try to get the job is I say like, hey, what's like, what's the most important thing to you about this commercial? Is it the performance? Is it this cool VFX shot? Is it a transition? Is it the product stuff? And I get an opportunity to ask them, like, what they really care about. And then I can focus on that in my treatment. As an actor, you don't really get that. So you might come in and make some really bold choice about, like, how much you love Hidden Valley Ranch dressing. But really, like, we don't care about the Hidden Valley Ranch dressing. We, want, we care about, like, if you can trip and fall, you know, without hurting yourself or something. It's a good question. Um, I think there is technique wise, actually, there's something to think about there in terms of where you are in the day, right? Like how tired oh, yes. we look, I think <laughs> is going to be a big factor because at a certain point, if you're, you know, if you're early in the morning, you know that like you're going to be the person to beat. You're setting the standard, right? But later in the day, we've heard this script, you know, in five minute increments all day, right? And so especially with comedy, you know, you can throw a little button on it or a spin or surprise us in some way. Anything to just wake us up um, later in the day, I think, is valuable and would be worth thinking about for sure. Yeah, a hundred percent. There's I mean, it, it's interesting. This conversation is uh, rich and, and there's a lot to jump into here. And I want to shift us a little bit because, there, frankly, there are so many things I want to ask you guys. And I think yeah, uh, we're, we're just on bullet point one is what you're saying, David. <laughs> yeah, well, a little bit. Right. But but one thing is I, if there's one big takeaway I'm hearing right from the beginning for all of our actors is like is that this is an entire world just in the commercial space. Right. An entire directing mm-hmm profession, a directing career in this, you know, I do think that, you know, Oren, you were saying in the beginning how much you enjoy commercials and you like making them and thinking about them. And, you know, I think we've seen a lot of directors who have brought the sort of quick, flashy sensibility of a lot of commercial work and then sort of transitioned it to, to other stories, mm-hmm. to long form stories. Right. So that I think there's actually uh, been a lot of creative play there. Um, so that's one thing. It's just, it's a bigger world then many mm-hmm. actors maybe consider it where they're like, oh, I, well, I guess maybe if a commercial wouldn't be bad, it would help me pay the bills instead of recognizing, no, that's someone's career on the line. Like this is the, pro- mm-hmm. this is a profession and a business. And that person could be the next Spike Jones. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Right. But even Sorry, if they're David, not, saying- yeah, no, but you're right. Mm-hmm. You're right. But even if they're not, even if it's not a means to an end, which is, I think even the way I came to the conversation a little bit, like, oh, you can build your resume and, and understand mm-hmm. set, protocol and, and all that things but but to look at it and say no, no no there's actually like there's a, a job to be done really well here yeah i mean look at like one of the best commercials from last year i think 2020 if you guys saw the apple home pod spot with fka twigs that's like directed by spike jones you know like you can make her and then make an awesome commercial like it's not like one like you just do commercials and then now you only do features or TV. And I think with acting, the same thing, right? It used to be like, oh, you do TV until you get into movies like 30 years ago, right? It's Strasbourg level one. But uh, nowadays it's like, you know, some of the best commercials have like Jason Momoa in them or something, you know, like everything is can can be great. Also, you know, there was something my dad wrote years ago and, and he, where he, he was talking about uh, modern art, right? Now, 
I will give you the, the preface first, which is like, I'm not a modern art guy. I never was like, I didn't, I'm always, I'm the guy who looks at it and goes, what do you mean? It looks like it's red, right? Mm -hmm. Or like, I don't understand it. Like that's how I began with modern art. Like I don't get it. And my dad said, it's actually, it's supposed to be the highest form of art because what you're doing is you're, like, in a way there's, there is no meaning. You're not using form as if like, here's a, an image that we understand, an archetype, right? That you're reducing it to its essence. Like you have to understand meaning. So it's a way of taking away all these inessential pieces and in a very small space, communicate a lot, like mm -hmm, the essence mm -hmm. of something. And I, in a way, I'm, I, I hear some of that of like, oh, we're trying to get a lot of story now. Like forget about a, a Disney story, which, you know, we're always pretty tight, right? Like you have like six, you know, 75 minutes, maybe 70 minutes mm -hmm. to like, to get this, this arc and they're pretty sharp in terms of their timing. But here you've got 30 seconds. Right. Mm -hmm. Heck, if it's online, you might have 15 seconds. Right. Exactly right. You have a few seconds to tell a compelling story. And so you do need to use archetypes. Right. And shortcuts in a way so that we can mm -hmm. we can do it. But actually, there's a tremendous opportunity there. Right. For a creative right. person to contribute something. Right. And we get to pay super close attention to every single second of those 15 second spots. You know, we get to dig in and really craft them in a way that on longer form pieces get a little looser. Right. So with all that said, like understanding this value, I also want to talk about other stuff that you guys do that all, that I think some of our some of our actors and creative folks are interested in as 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 we were talking in the beginning, like the hyphenate world, right? Where mm -hmm, mm -hmm. there's almost a, a stigma. It's like, oh, are you just an actor, right? Or, oh, you're you're a director? Do you write? You know, it's this feeling you need to be multiple things, right? And you need to have your own YouTube channel and, right? And so some of this is to me looking at acting in the real world, right? Like, what are you, how are you, how are you creating content in the real world? You know, if you got, if you have thoughts about that transition, right? Like to, to go from being an actor to being an mm -hmm. actor director, an actor writer, to being a creative person. If you have some thoughts about that, both where it sits today and some, and some tips for folks who are, who are exploring that. Yeah, like the influencer world is kind of what you're talking about. Or or are you, is the question about should you try to be like com, like build your own following or is it more should you just be making short films and or, things? Or or make your own flea bag is what you're saying. It's or yeah, kind of everything I, I, in between. It, well, it's actually I was really thinking about the last not not so much the influencer side of it. While I think you guys actually, you know, you are influencers through the podcast, you've created a, an influencing space, right? Mm -hmm. Um I don't know if you think of yourselves that way, but you know you've carved out a, a second channel, if you will, to to use your um, your creativity. But it's more it's it's this notion of actors as people who create content, like to speak to mm -hmm. the folks as as if they're directors, right? To who are going to be looking sure. at creating independent content. I know a lot of the folks, a lot of the faces I see here, I know are writing. You know, some of them are writing and directing. Um, so I, just to, to move the conversation into that space a little also, like one, how easy is it? You know, there's a, there's this myth now. It's like, well, anyone with an iPhone, it can be a director, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? And like, what's the truth of that? You know, that we're off bullet points, but I'm just curious, like what the, what you're thinking is around our actors as people who are also going to be creating content. There's a ton there, right? So I, I think maybe the, the first thing that comes to mind is that I, I know as young actors, there's probably, a, you feel a lot of pressure. To be like, oh, like, am I going to be the next Phoebe Waller-Bridge? You know, like, and I hope you all are, right? <laughs> like, that, that, is, that is incredible. But I think that if you don't have that interest, if you're not curious about writing, if you're not curious about directing, that's okay as well, right? Being an actor is super hard in and of itself. So 
I know that there's a lot of pressure and there's a lot of buzz about these these kind of multi-hyphenates. If you do have that curiosity, follow it, chase it down, you know, run with it. Um, and and I, I really encourage that. I, but, you know, again, like I said, I, I feel like everybody's feeling like a lot of pressure to become a great TikTok dancer and also write a one-person show and, you know, hopefully they're, uh, you know, in a fringe next year or whatever, right? So that being said, having actors lack control in their careers pretty frequently. And so writing and directing is a very tangible way for you to, you know, not wait for permission, so to speak. But you have to take it seriously, I guess, is really the the other edge of that sword. So if somebody's writing and they're into it and they're like, you know what, or I'm always writing, I'm always writing something. Um, mm-hmm. What's your advice on that first script? The first thing, there's two thoughts. One, write it so that it's cheap because the first thing's probably uh, going to be rougher on the edges and that's okay. That's 100% okay. But if you blow your life savings on it, that's probably not something that I would recommend. You know, like the the point of like everyone can be a filmmaker, everyone's got an iPhone or whatever is true to an extent. And I think that gives you permission to make a lot of mistakes and uh, that they don't have to be in public. You don't have to put that on YouTube if you know that it's not necessarily representative of your ultimate vision. It's okay to like start small. So I think being resource conscientious but also just in knowing that like no one is born a perfect filmmaker with all of the resources in the world so so just shoot it is the other part of it you know go for it scratch that itch and be okay with them being rough i mean i guess i I think there's kind of two components there's like creating content and if, if that content has value on its own is is one thing you know and we have seen some actors there's the uh the woman that did like those trump lip sync videos uh that's now you know i think that helped I think she already had a career, but it really helped accelerate her career. There's some times where content on its own can help your career. I don't know that I've ever like cast someone because they had written this thing or directed a short or whatever, you know, that to, from the casting perspective, I don't know that how much value making content it there is. But I think from a practice perspective, it's like super valuable. And the problem with being an actor is that you just have no control over who hires you or not and the way you become a good actor is you act a lot you know and that's why if you can do a play it's amazing if you can take class it's great that's why you know acting it's like football players right they're like always training even if they're amazing football players and actors it's not like you you learned acting and now you have to stop you know working on it and so making your own content is like the best way to get to act and you can write yourself good roles and or you know, if you're not good at writing, you can kind of write interesting outlines or come up with good conflicts or copy a scene from a movie. Uh, as a filmmaker myself, I do a lot of that stuff. I have a camera and I just shoot things with my kid just because I have an idea. Oh, wouldn't it be funny if she like walked and fell down and then like she fell out of the top of the frame or something? Let's just try that, you know, and maybe I'll put it on Instagram and maybe someone will say like, oh, Orin, I saw you did that thing. We're doing this similar project about kids falling from the sky. Like, do you when it, so it's like putting yourself out there is super valuable. And I like I guess I uh, reject the premise of your question, David, of uh, of what what should they write for their first thing? Because it doesn't matter, you know, like um, they should just write whatever they uh, they will actually make. You know, I think that's 
making the stuff is more important than what you're making. What I heard in all that is it's very dangerous to be Orrin Kaplan's kid. <laughs> that I is mean. true. That is true. <laughs> Orrin, you're hitting on something that I think is, is worth bringing up though that I think is probably pretty important. Um, is that There's a halo effect to writing and directing your own work. Just because you don't get into South by Southwest or Fringe or whatever that the ultimate win for your product uh, is, creating work and putting it out there, you know, collaborating with people will only improve your quality of life and the collaborators that you have, you know, like working with people and even getting into small film festivals and meeting other people. There is like a, an incremental success that continues to grow. So just because you didn't get a show on HBO, um, that doesn't mean that it hasn't drastically improved your life in ways that are maybe a little harder to trace back. So making things I think is always going to be helpful and is going to continue to just kind of build out that network and family of people. Yeah, and it raises your confidence level, which like back to what I said at the beginning is like what we're looking for when we see actors and, you know, casting. Is confidence. Well, it also makes me think the idea of having been on the directing side, looking at actors that way, right? When you walk into the room and they meet you, there's a little mm -hmm. bit of a, a little sense of like, oh, I know how this works. And I know mm -hmm. what's personal, yeah, sure. it, right? A little bit of confidence that comes just from a little, from less uncertainty, even if you're not in yeah. control. Even the confidence to say like, oh, I know I know what a mark is, but like, is that like, do you want me to do, like to admit that you don't know everything? Because I think a lot of newer actors also will like just pretend they understand everything you said and then not really kind of wing it, you know? And I think the more you do it yourself, the more comfortable you can you are to even be honest with like other filmmakers, if that makes sense. So then thinking about that now as letting actors be actors for a moment, if we, that's them as content creators, right? And, and I do think that there's a value in that creativity, right? In any form, mm -hmm. just keeping it exercised. And I love the notion of staying empowered in your career, right? So mm -hmm. this gives you a chance to, uh, to sort of flex that muscle, right? And, and stay fresh, but as an actor, right? When you for a, for a, let's say an independent film do's and don'ts on set like what what do you think there what advice would you give to our folks mm -hmm. I can say like my so like Matt said my wife is an actor and like one of the things I really love about working with her is that she's like bringing ideas to the tables and I think I think what a lot of actors think is a don't but it is actually a do is like being part of the like not just being a vessel to and not just being worried about the performance and nothing else. But if you are doing something and it's not quite working right, like I know you told me you want me to hold the mug here and then put it down on this line, but it feels kind of awkward. Like, why am I putting it down? Like, what if I put it down? Like when I walk over here like that, I, I love that stuff, you know, like when the character, the actors are thinking not just about like their emotionality and their performance, but how the blocking, how everything is kind of working together. So I think that, that is a do is like talk to people. And and also you got to read the room. Like if everyone's so busy and like they're just trying to get the dolly to work right, then, right. then don't be like, hey, they're less I want to hold the mug in the other hand, Oren. Is that OK? Yeah, definitely read the room. I, you know, I think also indie films are there's such a range, right? There's micro budget all the way up to things that have, you know, a multimillion dollar budget like sub 10 or something like that that are still indie. Right. But have trailers and teams and all of that stuff and so i think that i would say two things having just made a micro budget film at the beginning of the year that my uh, you'll love this david my wife uh wrote and directed <laughs> and stars in so so there you go basically be aware of like what the film needs on a on a maybe a um a more production level like just kind of like reading the room of like 
I remember we had like a cameo from someone who was like relatively famous and she was like, don't worry, I'm going to, I can bring my own clothes. And it was just like such a genuine gift be like, oh, right. She's supposed to be fancy. It's okay for her. She was like, look, we can use my wardrobe. It's not a big deal. Just basically being down with the size of the project and like little things that you wouldn't that you think like a movie that's got you know six figure budgets right that's still micro budget but like offering to like wear your own jeans for instance saves the production a couple thousand bucks ultimately if it's a if it's a big cast and so like you know because you have to have multiple changes and all that like all that stuff just slowly adds up and so being just kind of cognizant of like what the real stresses of an independent filmmaker are go so far in terms of uh, endearing us to you for sure yeah if like, you want oh, Matt don't, to cast you wear your own jeans wear your own jeans don't ask when the call sheet is coming out we're working on it we're trying our friggin hardest you guys we want to get it out as badly as you want to receive it uh stuff like that you know be aware of like what your your team is saying like uh, your agents asking for a private driver that happens to us all the time and we're like i know for sure this person can just drive themselves they don't mind they don't want us to send an Uber or even worse, a tired PA at the beginning of the morning who has to pick up the breakfast burritos too. I will say, but that's more practical stuff. Yeah, this is super obvious, but like, do know, be do know your lines and be off book, and like, it actually doesn't even hurt if you know everybody's lines. I did this show with this. I guess she's like an influencer actor. Her name is Anna Kana. She's like one of the busiest people I've ever met in my life. And she would show up to set and she would know every single person's dialogue. So when the person she's acting with like is, is like, oh, hold on, let me take that from the top. She would like help them tell tell their lines. And and I've heard I just know every time you work with like really good, famous working actors or not famous working actors, but everyone like it has nothing to do with status, like the, the most professional ones. Like they show up on time, they know their dialogue inside and out. And, and yeah, so I, I think that that's something that it's obvious, but you'll be surprised by how many times people show up and they aren't quite sure like what scene we're doing or what the dialogue is, which is fine. We can tell so them. Show up 10 minutes early. Genuinely. You, you would, you have no idea how stressful it is to know that an actor is running late because it's not just one person who's running late. That means that my 50 person crew all of a sudden is running late and then that means that we've we've scheduled everything to the minute so if for instance you're 10 minutes late and that pushes the day back 10 minutes then at lunch i'm going into a little bit of overtime which means that i don't have money on the back end for overtime which means that you lose takes the movie gets worse because you were late that's a hard fact and sometimes there's a little bit of padding in there sometimes we're doing our best to accommodate it but like that sort of stuff, no one would ever say, hey, you're making the movie worse to you in the moment. But those those little realities, especially on a, a smaller scale, are, are, have real consequences, I guess is what I'm saying. In a nod to some of our military folks, we have, we have a fair number of uh, former military on the call, right? I think we know, or on time is late, right? <laughs> sure. 15 yeah. minutes early is on time, something like that, yeah. right? I think that's, right. The, that's the rule. And it's, it is respectful. Right. Because mm -hmm. I think there's also something is um, that you point out, which is to not know if somebody's running late. Like if you're tr literally you're tracking everything on set and if somebody hasn't shown up and it's 10 till, 
Mm-hmm. You're wondering, are they going to get here, right? So, so it's another way, just like wearing your je- wearing your own jeans. It's another way to sort of de-stress the environment and to be Without to contribute something. Um, can Can I just add two more tips, real quick? I know we're we're. I mean, Matt and I are fine running over. I, I don't want to run over for you guys, but um, I will say, like on set, make sure you know who the cinematographer is or the the camera operator, and also know and try to introduce yourself to them because they are you know, determining how you look and they might, you know, once you introduce the, yourself to them, they might tell you like, Hey, if you turn right a little bit more, the eye, you know, the light will catch your eyes or whatever. It's, it's good, good to befriend that person. And like, don't be afraid to like lean on the director. The director's job, like Matt said, is to be your liaison to the entire production. So if you feel uncomfortable with something like, you don't have to yell it, Hey, I don't want to do that. Um, but call the director over and say like, Hey, I don't, really feel comfortable all right we never talked about this like can we find a, a different way to do this and it's like or even there's something weird in my eye line that's distracting it doesn't have to be a huge deal but they're they're your conduit for sure yeah so just don't be afraid to to talk to the director as much as you can because you know we can be behind the camera we can be like tired and not slept last night like be exhausted be sick whatever but like you are on camera and so like to me, like my number one, the most important part of my job as it pertains to actors is to make you feel comfortable. So you, because you, everything is on your face, you know, the camera sees you. So, so know that by you talking to the director, it's actually helping the director. It's not burdening anyone. I, I just want to move to Rebecca. Uh, Rebecca Pierce had a question. If you want to unmute and ask away. Hi. <laughs> Greetings from Switzerland. Hello. Hi. Who I am here, but I'm excited to listen to you. And I was wondering if you can offer, if we can offer suggestions on set, but also at at the audition, because I heard earlier that you want actors that bring ideas Mm -hmm. and everything. And I was wondering if you accept that during the audition too. It's important to to place terms though, if we're in a commercial versus an indie film versus a TV episode, all of that stuff. I think that those are kind of very different scenarios, Uh, but Oren, go for it. Yeah, so uh, over the past year, my all of my wife's auditions have been on tape and she's actually had like a really good track record recently. And the thing we do is we do the first take exactly as scripted. You know, we try to like kind of what is this? This is a she's a police officer and she's trying to hunt this guy down or whatever. We do we do it just like the script says. And then we always do a second take and submit it. And we always do something to- like very different there or kind of bring a new idea or like try to add a layer. And again, even if it's a commercial, like maybe like add a button to the beginning or to the end. In person, I think if somebody came and before they even did their first take, they were like, hey, you know, I had this idea. What if I do this totally different? I probably would like not be that into it just because there's no baseline of like where you're coming from, you know? And a lot of times, like Matt said, we want to, Know that you can do it kind of as scripted and then see what you're what you're adding to it. So, so yeah, yeah. It, it's really hard for people, directors included, but especially actors to see the background of how we got to this audition. Right. How many people had to approve this copy, whether it's a TV show or a film or, you know, like how, how much have we really, you know, worked the material to get it to where it's approved by legal and has all of the appropriate terminology and things like that, especially with like commercials. Sometimes there's specific words that they're allowed to use and not allowed to use so that they don't accidentally claim that Mountain Dew makes you superhuman or something. Right. And so 
being able to nail it that first time is important. And then, you know, if you've got a different take or something like that, um, I think it's fun to show, like Oren was saying, just show us the, the, the take. Show us the kind of the direction. Maybe you're adding more business or something like that. Suggestions are tricky for sure because you you do have to be aware of like the massive egos, all of whom are insecure. That's like a real minefield basically Yeah, to deal with. And it, yeah, there's yeah. like a fine line of like, like even when, you know, Matt and I are pitching on commercials, we're like, oh, wouldn't it be funny if like this balloon was floating in the background when we saw the car drive? Like, like we're trying to take their thing and like plus it as opposed to changing it, you know? So like if you come into an audition and you're like, oh, this reminds me of my sister and me. This is how we talk to each other. And then you go into it. And then at the end, you're like, yeah, my sister would say that. Like you like I think if you approach it like that, where you're doing our material, but you're just showing us why you're connecting with it, you know? I know it's it's subtle, but it's I think that's the type of thing that I guess when I say like I like actors that collaborate, that's what I mean when they're like they're trying to make our stuff work as opposed to trying to replace our stuff. Yeah, there's in commercials in particular. There's a tricky some some code words that because I think due to SAG, you can't ask an actor to rewrite your script. That's messed up for many reasons, but also against SAG rules as it's as it I understand it. But so sometimes people will say, like, play with it, make it your own, right? All of that stuff. And that's oftentimes a code for, like, you know, put your own spin on it. So if you did have a button or you did have a take or something like that, it, you know, it's tricky. I have very mixed feelings about that because you can you could imagine in a reality where uh, an unscrupulous person could be like, I'm going to cast this person, but I'm going to steal that joke. That's going to happen Unfortunately, some people are going to do that. I certainly would never do that, but I've seen people try to do that, and it's a bummer. But it's as a way of standing out, like that's a thing that I would do maybe, like especially as a tag or something at the end after we've gotten through all of that pre-approved copy where the lawyers and ad agency and creatives have all said, well, we love this. If you put your own spin on it, then that I think is probably the best move. If it's a TV show, especially like some a procedural or something like that, I probably wouldn't mess with it too much for sure. But, you know, feel feel it out a little bit, you know? Yeah, it's obvious. I mean, obviously, like do as much, you know, recon reconnaissance as you can. Like if it's Modern Family and you heard that like their word for word, you cannot change anything. And these are like Emmy winning writers. You know, you don't change a word on that. But if yeah. it's like Mad Men was a word perfect show, for instance. You couldn't you couldn't swap a clause. You couldn't add an uh or a like. None of that stuff. Yeah, and I'm sure you guys all know this, but obviously watch an episode of a TV show that you're auditioning for um, to get the cadence, to get the feeling, to get the vibe, and that'll help steer you also to know if you can bring a suggestion in. Yeah, oftentimes those roles you're you're moving the plot forward, right? So like the jokes are probably for other people, you know. So that makes it tricky as well. You're welcome for the very long answer, Rebecca. Thank, thank you, you, Rebecca. Thank you, yeah. And, and um, some of the things I hear in there, though, like in, in a way, some of it is show, don't tell. Right. Mm -hmm. So instead mm -hmm. of just like, hey, would it be OK if I rewrite your language and then added these couple words? You get into that. People are going to get really 100 percent defensive, frankly. And like, I don't know if I want to deal with that, approving mm -hmm. that in this moment. But if you say, let me try something or, you know, yeah, you mind if I try something out? Yeah, that's the move. If you said I have a suggestion, you would turn everyone off if you were like. Let me just show you something I was messing with. 
after you've already done your first take, that would be the way to do it for sure. Yeah, my move, and this goes back to Lavanya's thing is like on a, when I'm pitching to an agency, I always will say like, well, but you know, like David said this and this, or kind of taking what Matt said and building on that as I would do this. So I think there's a way to make it seem like you are working together as opposed to you know, jamming your stuff through. Real, real. Yeah, Along yeah. those lines, you know, there's actually, a, there's a therapeutic tool. Literally a lot of therapists will use this tool, but I, I will also recommend it to anyone in an intimate relationship, right? Where you might have some conflict, which is literally just to echo back what somebody just said. Mm-hmm. Before you before you put forward that idea that's in your head, you, you know, you say, got it. So Matt, I'm hearing that you would really, you wish that people really understood everything you were going through to mm-hmm. get to that point in the process and how many layers of approval you need. And you will echo that back until someone says, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. But here's the, here's the funny little manipulation in it. Right. Is yes, it has the power to make the other person feel heard. Mm-hmm. Right. And you do it in part so that person can relax for a moment and be, be acknowledged somehow. Right. And seen. However, it has a sneaky other purpose too, in a wonderful way, which is that, we can't get your mind to focus on anything else until that piece has been moved. Mm, mm-hmm. Until you know that we've understood you, you're going to have to fight for your position and you won't be able to hear our position. So mm-hmm. from a performance standpoint, right, this notion of first just do it as written, right? Nothing too crazy, just like like how it sits on the page is, is sort of this way of echoing back. Like this is how it's written. I'm going to let you see it full on so that you're not holding on to that's not how I wrote it. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. We fulfill that so that you can relax and go, Oh yeah, that is. Uh... And then from there you have the opportunity to offer something new, right? There's a, yeah. there's a really interesting connectivity in mm-hmm. it um, that I, that I like. And it makes me wonder in the self tapes, like, you know, you were saying your, your wife do it, having this approach to self tapes and then having a good run on this, right? Is it, are, are you actually submitting like is the same is the same notion in play in the self tape where you're going yeah we're literally doing take one and then a half a beat or a, or a jump cut and then I'm just going to give them something a little I'm going to give them a second bite at the apple on the self tape do you do that there is that also yeah I think I don't know actually the technicalities of it my wife I think uploads two separate clips and she just calls them take one and take two but I I obviously want to say that first take needs to be good also (laughs) the as scripted take should be natural you should be feel real authentic like in character even if the writing's bad you know i had a friend that uh acted in a lot of soap operas and he said it's funny that people think that or soap operas are famous for bad acting but they actually should be famous for good acting because you're these actors have to say this kind of really badly written dialogue and sell it as real the actors there are extra good (laughs) because they're making those stories work but yeah that's what we've been doing um also in case we run out of time i just want to say you know good sound is very important good lighting the camera height unless otherwise stated should be at eye level like stop recording yourself from very low and yeah and we just we need to see your face so don't be like in an insanely wide shot and don't be super dark or super blown out that said everyone also is aware of the circumstances that we are all living in right so it's like do the best you can like find the best light that you can find the most neutral background that you can you you know do all the best practices but also know that like you know, if there's a dog barking in the background because you've got neighbors nearby or whatever weird problems we have with just staying inside all the time, 
uh, casting directors get that. And like I've seen a number of people on their postings be like, hey, don't go to a studio to tape. Like stay at home. Like we want like it's we get it. We want everybody to stay safe. Don't don't go out, basically. So there's kind of like that seesaw back and forth between do the very best that you can. Maybe go ahead and get yourself a ring light or whatever. But like you don't have to build a studio in your apartment. Two questions following up on this one that I think is coming up a lot in in the student in our actors chat, which is, are you looking at actors reels or how much time are you spending looking at actors reels? Is that just a casting director thing um, mm-hmm. versus just the audition itself? And then this, this second question that if you can slide it in here somewhere is, is there a resource, including maybe a, a you know, one of the episodes of your podcast or some other place where, you know, where would you send people to get a really great resource on their own, on their technical self tapes, right? You know, camera levels and lighting mm-hmm. and, and that sort mm-hmm. of setup, assuming someone's not a filmmaker. Yeah, I think there's a million YouTube videos that even, that even casting directors have made about uh, camera setups. I can tell you our setup. We have this Rode Wireless Go. It's the wireless mic that you can plug into an iPhone or like a DSLR or something. Um, and we have like a blue backdrop from, it's like 50 bucks from like a film supply place. And then and we have a light, but yeah, like Matt said, like a ring light. I think those three things like will get you basically uh, there and a tripod of some sort. I've seen some YouTube videos and I thought they were poorly shot. So oh, sure. that's why, that's why, you know, <laughs> just randomly googling you know good self-tape sometimes i worry like mm-hmm. what does this person know like if you know if they're not credible in their field why why are they giving me the opinion so if you had a, a preferred sure. source like for tech i always look at wire cutter first right, right. it's like that's right, my right. preferred source of, of uh reviews if you have a preferred source on on i unfortunately don't but the, i have seen i can't think off the top of my head but i have seen like you know legit casting hollywood casting directors that are doing network TV shows that have put videos out on YouTube about how to set up, um, you know, that. Yeah. I, I would say your spaces. phone is probably going to get you most of the way there though. It's, it's really like what Oren was saying, find good light, uh, keep it steady on like something that's basically eye level, you know, um, it's, it's more about technique than it is gear. So the, the gear I get a little iffy about talking about just because I don't want people to go out and buy themselves a, you know, a, a router and a compressor and a, you know, get themselves a DSLR and all that. There's, there's stuff that, you know, you can get bogged down with. Maybe if you wanted to get a nice mic, that's worthwhile. What about the reel? Like how much of the oh, yeah. time do you, do you spend looking at someone's background material versus just what they deliver in their self tape? Once I, once I'm getting serious about a person or I'm curious about them, I will, I will watch a reel for sure. Yeah. It's tricky, especially when you're starting out, because oftentimes, you know, some of that material isn't the most recognizable or highest quality necessarily. And or, or and specifically, like sometimes you have to, you know, work on a scene that's not written super well. And so or directed like maybe more like a melodrama or like a little less restrained than it should be. So I, I take it all with a grain of salt. But, yeah, I do look at that stuff for sure. I would say also, like, if you have bad old headshots, take those down. Because I, I, you'd be surprised how much it's like, oh, you see, they've got 30 headshots, and some of them are pretty old and pretty cheesy. And that could be a mark against you, actually, inadvertently. I never look at reels. Um, I mean, maybe if I was casting, like, an indie feature, and it's an actor I've never heard of, and they're going to be one of the leads, I would look at their reel. But for commercial, for a small part, I would look at the audition. That, honestly, the, usually the only time I look at a reel is when... I can't tell from the video, like 
what they look like and I want to see if there's other footage of them because I like something they did on the in the audition and I want to see are did they put videos on YouTube or do they have a reel somewhere what do they look like on camera because that's the only time I really look at a reel and like Matt said unfortunately this doesn't sound nice but like nine times out of ten the reel will like lose the job for someone because there's some like really crazy melodramatic like student film on there and I'm like ah I don't know. This is just kind of weird. <laughs> Let's just move on to one of these other. Is it fair to say, what, what if somebody didn't have a reel online at all? Like maybe they've made YouTube videos, but like there's no, there's no like David Strasberg's acting reel. Yeah, that's fine with me. I mean, it helps if you have credits on IMDb, you know, like that stuff we would look at if it's anything we recognized. If we're, yeah. if I was between two people and somebody had a bad reel versus the person without a reel, I would go for the person without a reel most likely. Yeah, most likely. Yeah, yeah. You know, sometimes I'm I'm a big sports fan, and sometimes I get a little annoyed as teams will like like a, in baseball they'll they'll sign a pitcher and they'll they'll say, well, you know, there's a, a great veteran presence, you know, really bols- bolsters their bullpen. Mm-hmm. I'm like, the guy's had an ERA over six for the last ten years. Like, really? He's proven that he's not that great, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's so <laughs> wonderful to have a veteran who's proven not to be amazing, right? And I think so. You're better off. Uh, what I'm hearing that is like you're better off keeping keeping evidence of trouble off the mm-hmm. table. Yeah, you, you're just not there to make caveats, right? Like, we believe that you know that maybe this performance wasn't the take that you would have picked or that, you know, this was an early short film and, you know, you were just trying to put some tape together. We understand all of that, but you're not there to tell us that, so it makes it a little tricky. We actually had an interview last night with an EP at a big... A commercial house and she said she has a no clunkers rule which i thought was perfect right because like we're we're submitting our previous work when we're trying to get a job where it's like oh these are the six commercials that we think are pertinent to the brief and if you know one or two of them don't aren't as strong then cut them basically is the bottom line yeah and by the way for reference what your video should not look like is what my webcam looks like right now this is how not that wouldn't to bother like. me that much. That's the difference between me and Oren. I would be okay with um, that. But I think to David, to what you said, like if you all you have is kind of bad audio, badly shot, poorly lit, like student film stuff for your reel, that versus an audition where you're on equal like level playing ground with every other actor. Like imagine that every other actor you're auditioning against has been on, you know, ten TV shows. So do you want me to compare your reel to their reel? Or would you just want me to compare your audition to their audition? And that's kind of how I think about it. So unless your reel is going to like really elevate you and show me how experienced you are and how you've done all these great things, I would just stick with the audition. Because I can tell like how if you've acted before from your audition. Uh, we are running. We're running over. I appreciate you guys have spending the extra time. I want to ask a question we ask actually of, of all of our guests in this series if you were to recommend one movie or tv show that you think Mm -hmm. like our actors really just should see either because it inspired you so much or because you think the the work is at such a good a high level what would it be i mean i I wrote down a couple things but i don't know it's a weird question because i feel like there's so many every day i see new things uh, that I think are so awesome, like Queen's Gambit or Killing Eve. You know, the the villain in Killing Eve, she's such an insane character that doesn't make any sense and no one would ever be like that. But you just can't stop watching her, right? She's so interesting. I think that's an interesting performance, like from an actor's point of view, for like movies. Like I love Rosemary's Baby is like a movie that kind of changed the whole way I think of how an actor's performance can 
draw me into a movie because, you know, I mean, it's, it's a whole collaboration with the filmmaker and everything, but like what she does in that movie is it make, you think you're ahead of her. You think she has no idea what's going on in her life. And then you realize how far behind her you are. And it's just all kind of done with this really amazing performance. And then uh, another movie I wrote down that I really love is Spaceballs on the other end of things of just like how ridiculous you can be with these really sincere performances. So the easy answer for me is Fargo. Um, but that's just because that's like a perfect touchstone for me in terms of like performances are all pitch perfect. It's funny. It's scary. It's sad. You know, um, it's shot perfectly. This, everything about it is perfect. It's maybe my favorite film of all time. Um, but the other thing that I think is worth talking about is that it is important to be able to be conversant. You know, like like Warren was saying, like you're dropping Queen's Gambit or Killing Eve or whatever. It's good to know a couple episodes of, of, of everything that's kind of trendy and what creatives in Hollywood care about right now. Because you're... That's our, the closest we're going to have to water cooler talk. Like David, you were making a reference to you know, a baseball and you said an EAR or something. I have no idea what you're talking about. Right. Um, but the, I know for sure that the, the currency that we all share is caring about film and TV. Right. So we care about acting. We care. So, you know, you don't have to have seen everything that played, you know, slam dance this year. Um, but it's nice to just be aware of what's in the zeitgeist basically is, is the thing that I would recommend beyond just knowing the classics, because if someone's like, Oh, you know, were you on that? Did you see last night's, you know, are you caught up on Queen's Gambit and you don't know what they're talking about? You know, then that's a missed opportunity, I guess. Yeah, no, I think it, it's it's great advice. And it actually goes into even where we started the whole conversation around foodiness, right? <laughs> Which is, I think sometimes you think, well, that I don't like that genre. I'm not a mm -hmm. horror person. I'm, mm -hmm. a, I'm a comedy person, not a drama person. And we start drawing these lines, right? Instead of realizing how self-referential the whole film business is like people are everyone's influencing like tv commercials are influencing the the angles of feature films and mm -hmm. feature films have been influencing tv and tv is now coming back and re-influencing stuff on the big screen so um that everything's referring there and, and being able to understand it not drawing these like sharp boundaries about mm -hmm. who you are and who you're not what you like what you hate i think is really really valuable right to someone who's actually a professional yeah and even that digital stuff like i know we were joking about tiktok and stuff but that stuff i mean is seeping its way into commercials and movies and everything it's like i think it's healthy to know everything i had my my old roommate when i first moved to la was an actor a really amazing actor really like good looking guy too and he hated commercials and every time he went to a commercial audition like you could tell on his face that he hated commercials and i'm like why are you doing commercials if you hate commercials? So the I think people, if you're not into what you're doing, I think people can feel it. But but like Matt said, something most of us probably have in common is we're into this stuff. Yeah. Well, I just want to thank you both again. This has been really informative. I'm learning a lot, but also I enjoy each of you. Uh, so I appreciate you sharing your time. Yeah, sure. Thanks for chatting with us. Okay, if you want to tell us what you think about us, we'd love to know. You can email us at justshootitpod at gmail.com. You can follow us across all social media at Just Shoot It Pod. You can follow me on Instagram. I'm at OKaplan. On Twitter, I'm at SmiteyPileg. And I'm at Mr. Bad Enlo across all social media. This episode was edited by our very own Sarah Weirda. Our social media maestro is Derek Aiello. And our consulting producer is Ali Kornfeld. You're listening to the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar. And that's all she wrote. Thanks, everyone. Bye.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.